Hey everybody, mm -hmm. welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers. I want to thank you all for joining us again. We have a special guest on the show tonight. He's been with us a few times before. We're happy to have him back, Brother Robert Marshall from down in Waco, Texas. Uh, Brother Marshall, how are you doing today? I'm doing swell. Glad to be back on the show. Glad to have you. Uh, for those that may not have seen the previous episodes, may not know who you are, if you don't mind, we'll let you go ahead and uh, further introduce yourself. Tell us what you're all about and what's going on in your neck of the woods. Sure. Uh, so uh, simply, I'm a historian. I've got uh, degrees in history, literature, and museum studies. Uh, I'm a secretary currently of Waco Masonic Lodge in Texas and a past master there as well. I've been an officer here for 10 years and uh, deputy assistant deputy director for the Kansas Lodge of Research. I uh, fancy myself a traveling, traveling man. I've recently put out uh, a short essay about how when I first became a Mason, I lamented the fact that people used the term traveling man as uh, only a symbolic uh, reference. Uh, I decided to make that literal and i've been to lodge in 50 states and uh, about a dozen countries now so wow so you're slacking is what you're saying <laughs> 50 states that's right i crossed off alaska insane. this past year that is insane that's awesome man hats off to you so a traveling man yeah i don't, I don't know if that's quite the word for it because uh traveling is usually like here and there you've pretty much been everywhere <laughs> There's still a whole hemisphere to, to tackle. Well, there you go. And you got time to do it, so it's all good. <laughs> well, we appreciate having you back on the show tonight. Um, tonight's kind of an interesting one. It, it's been a while, right? Like uh, historical light. It's been uh, probably almost a year. So um, for those of you that know that keep up with the show, uh, the last few episodes kind of got a little hazy there. Um, you know, just to be straight up with you guys, honest, uh, it's been rough. Um with my father-in-law situation, he did unfortunately pass. Um, and he was kind of my go-to in masonry. He was my Masonic mentor and everything. I thought that would be easier than it was, but honestly, uh, masonry was kind of tough after that. And it was easy to find excuses to not record, not get with the show. Um, so things just kind of fell off. Um, with that, Brother Marshall, who I have on the show tonight, uh, Obviously, he's became a great friend of mine. Um, we met through the show, of all things. So, you know, Historical Light definitely has helped in that manner. Um, brought him on to Kansas Lodge Research with me and has just become a great inspiration, a great friend all around. And he's one of the driving forces that really got behind me and said, hey, you need to get Historical Light back up and running. And I agreed with that, but I needed that boost as well. So I've decided to bring Brother Robert onto the show as a guest host to relaunch Historical Light and kind of take it in a new, better direction and uh, see where things go. So tonight is kind of the unveiling. Brother Robert will be our new co-host of Historical Light. Welcome aboard. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Been a big fan of the project for years, and uh, I think Freemasonry has a giant void that Historical Light really helps to fill. So I'm glad to help out any way I can. Hey, we're glad to have you on. You know, I've been keeping up with your work ever since I got to kind of get introduced to uh, to you through uh, Historical Light. Had some members of your lodge, I think, say, hey, you need to talk to this guy. Got you <laughs> on the show, started chatting with you and stuff. Hell of a historian. Um, even when you uh, do your traveling and stuff, 
I really admire. I mean, you, you pop up with some deep research that I don't know how you fit it in, but it's awesome. So to bring you on, uh, obviously it's a no brainer. Um, been a good friend. I know you're going to be a hell of a asset to the show, so I'm excited about it. But with that kind of want to introduce you and what's going on in your life, man. We're going to kind of start this relaunch off in that way. Let everyone get to know you on a personal level. Sure. Uh, so what's going on down here right now, recent events. Uh, I was up at the Texas Lodge of Research just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a past Grandmaster of California presented on the early formation of demon lay ritual. Uh, nice. And uh, uh, personally, that was something that I wasn't expecting to be extremely interesting. Uh, and uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. It was really, really, really interesting. And it answered a few questions I'd had because uh, in researching Demolay myself, uh, a member of my lodge uh, who was secretary for over 50 years uh, had been one of the early founders of Demolay in the very, very beginning. And uh, uh, while looking into that, I ran across multiple articles in the 1920s of Demolay initiates being chained up in public streets as some kind of uh, weird exhibition. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it what I learned from the program was that uh, hazing got out of hand in the 1920s and they had to change the Demolay ritual to uh, stop that from happening anymore. Uh, well, anyway, had a good time up there. Uh, and then uh, since then, uh, we've had our officer installation. So our Masonic year has just changed over here in Texas. And uh, the installation for Waco Masonic Lodge was at a local museum. We had um, a George Washington's vest. Uh, on site, we yeah. had the bed, uh, President Zachary Taylor. That was awesome, man. Yeah, so that yeah. that was an actual vest George Washington had worn. That's right, uh, and that was just one of many artifacts. Uh, Dolly Madison's dress, a letter written by George Washington to brother Tobias Lear about the uh, Constitution ratification. Uh, artifacts related to quite a few presidents as well as early Waco settlers that were members of our lodge. So. It was just a really special event altogether. We're excited for the, the team we put together as officers this year and uh, Brother Tyson Holloway, our new worshipful master. So uh, things are looking bright. Uh, tomorrow night is our first stated meeting of the year, and the Scottish clan Wishton is having their national family reunion. Uh, so they're coming from all over the country, and they're going to kick things off at our stated meeting dinner. And then we'll have a banquet at the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum the next night. Uh, so uh, a lot of excitement going on here. That is awesome. Now, you did mention before um, the museum that you guys held your installation at. Uh, you said that mm -hmm. it's been closed for quite a long time. This was the first event to kind of reveal it. That's right. Uh, so the museum's uh, founder is a wonderful, wonderful woman named Helen Marie Taylor. Uh, she is a descendant of President Zachary Taylor, and that's why some of his things are in the museum. Uh, she's related to several other uh, interesting historical figures, and that spurred her own history interest. Uh, she's originally a Wacoan. Uh, she did work uh, in the Reagan administration as an ambassador, I believe. Uh, interesting lady with a very interesting museum. In the 1990s, my understanding is that there was a lot of pressure uh, from different directions uh, to try to tell her what she should or shouldn't have or what she should or shouldn't do with her museum, which was strange considering it's a privately owned museum 
uh, run right. by one person who's paid for the whole thing. Uh, so she shut her doors and it stayed shut for about 20 years. And uh, our installation was the first uh, event to be held in it since then. And there'll be a uh, grand reopening later this month, just one day after one of the most exciting events uh, of the year in Texas, I think, for Freemasonry, uh, the annual business meeting of Tranquility Lodge number 2000. That'll be July 20th. Sweet. And that is the lodge that was created by Buzz Aldrin when he carried dispensation to the moon 50 years ago That's this month. Right. That is awesome. Yeah. Will, you, will you be there? Oh, absolutely. We're uh, put together a little bit of a special astronomy program and uh, I know uh, Brother Johnson, I, uh, Robert Johnson out there, I, I sent him a little sneak preview. I sent you a sneak preview. Uh, it's going to be a, a pretty special occasion, 50th anniversary, the same day of the anniversary. That is super cool. Super, super cool. So now you had mentioned uh, Demole, which is, is kind of cool. I don't have as much background in it as I'd like to as far as research. Um, but it always pops in my mind. It's an interesting fact. The you know, Demolay actually started right here in the Kansas City area, uh, downtown, um, and had some pretty, uh, pretty big name figures. I think uh, Walt Disney was a Demolay that actually started here in Kansas City. Now you mentioned one of your guys was an original founder. Was he from this area, possibly? He wasn't. He had established a friendship with the founder Frank Land previously uh, as a secretary of this lodge and as recorder of the shrine. Uh, and, and they had met at some kind of national event that I've seen referenced to in a few letters, but I'm not sure exactly which one it was. Very you, cool. You are right, though. Walt Disney was, um, off the top of my head, I want to say he was 19 years old or 18 years old at the time that Dean Olay was founded. And he was one of the first uh, dozen or so boys that uh, started the organization. Yeah, there's, there's some cool history behind it. And unfortunately, um, just like a year or two ago, may have been last year, I think it was a year or two ago, the building, the Masonic building down there that that actually started in uh, had a big catastrophic fire. Uh, was, wow. uh, uh, yeah. Masonic buildings, man, they uh, fire and water leaks seem to have attraction towards both of those. Indeed. Well, on my end, um, it's it's been busy as always, uh, just seems to be my normal these days. Um, let's see. Um, out of the East, obviously. I think I already recorded that on last Historical Light. Uh, past master this year, serving as Tyler. Uh, did take on the position as a district deputy grandmaster this year for District uh, 9A. Um, also still serving as uh, director of Kansas Lodge Research with uh, Brother Marshall on there helping me out with that. Uh, we've done some great things there. Actually pretty proud of that program. Been doing a lot of virtual ed. Um, we've had members come on from um, all around the United States and uh, virtual ed is kind of a, a manner in which we can offer value to all those members. Um, big issue, even with, you know, in the state was setting up meetings that everyone could make it to um, with, you know, different schedule of lodge meetings and everything else. Doing it virtually uh, just made it awesome because don't have to fly anybody in. We can get great speakers from all around and you can hop on from your computer, cell phone, whatever works and have a great night of Masonic Ed. Um, so it's worked out really good that way. Um, but yeah, busy, busy schedule, started a new role at work, uh, moved over into marketing, kids growing up, going crazy, <laughs> but, uh, do got an exciting little vacation coming up into the month to Colorado. 
Um, so I've been doing some research there, hoping to see some of the Masonic sites while I'm out there. I've read about some pretty cool ones. Um, Brother Robert, you've been to Colorado Springs before? I have. I've been up there a couple of times. First time I uh, was as a kid with the family. Awesome. Uh, did you get a chance to visit Lodge while you're there? I've been to two lodges there, and one of them was when I was uh, running down the information on the Kansas Grand Lodge seal. Uh, oh, nice. So uh, it was kind of a funny crossover, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been several years. Yeah, well, you know, in, you know, total planning fail nature, we decided to go on a fifth week in July, so I don't think any lodges are meeting, but I'm going to take the opportunity to stop <laughs> by the Grand Lodge, meet with those guys, and go around and see some of the sites myself, um, but, you know, next time around, hopefully I'll get a sit and lodge with some Colorado guys. All right. A couple of guys from out that way. Uh, so our past master, Mark Brickhouse, he moved here from there while he was a senior warden there and became an officer here. And then uh, um, esoteric, Templar, Masonic, uh, Peculiarities author, Timothy Hogan uh, is a Colorado guy. So yes. I would look him up. Recently I uh, spoke to him over Facebook. Uh, there you so go. Might have the opportunity to hook up with him while I'm there. And, uh, yeah. See if you can show me around a little bit. That'd be pretty neat. He's the guy you want. Yeah, seems to know a bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with some of my presentations, I do one on the genealogy of Kansas Freemasonry, uh, kind of tracing back Grand Lodge to Grand Lodge, showing where Kansas Freemasonry roots came from. Uh, an interesting fact in that is Colorado is actually one of our creations, so to speak. Uh, Grand Lodge of Kansas actually handed charters to the first two lodges that set up in Colorado. So it's kind of a neat transgression to to see how that plays out and uh, goes on through the line there to keep masonry flowing. Absolutely. So what else you got going on in your upcoming days? Let's see. What do we have? Uh, I'm making an appearance at a Masonic event on Saturday, but it's a surprise, so I can't say what it is. No. Uh, I will, uh, I guess, archaically hint and say that uh, I will be enacting some of what has been called Robert's wizardry to get there. So uh, what else? Uh I'm looking you around places. I, I got to throw in that you actually came up to the Kansas Grand Lodge annual session this year. I did. And I, I wish I'd have thought about it. I actually still have one of the balloons from when y'all hit the million dollar donation mark. Really, really? Yeah. It actually stayed perfectly inflated until about one month ago and it finally deflated. And now it's just a little bitty balloon. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, See, I've got a couple of things from there. I've got something around here. I'm not sure where it's at. Oh, I've got it hidden. It's sitting on the glass. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I had at least one person there uh, recognize me because of the dearest Martha jokes that are out there. Uh, so <laughs> that was wonderful. Uh, uh, it was a good time. You guys unveiled. We've got to uh, hold up right there and give a little backstory on that. Now, we don't have to. We have to. It's your first episode on Historical Light. And as I said, when I first learned about the whole Martha gimmick, I've got to fully jump on board with that. So, my brother, who is Martha exactly? <laughs> well, 
as best as I can tell, Martha is a fictitious wife that was created uh, for me. Um, I think there were two big reasons. Originally, it started as a joke within my lodge. I was fully uh, in the know at that point. Uh, our current master, Holloway, and our past master, McCam, uh, were joking because in a lot of my photos, I don't smile. Uh, and I spend a lot of my personal time researching the 17, 18, early 1900s where people didn't smile for portraits. So they were suggesting that I was either a time traveler or something along those lines and that that's the era in which I belonged. Within a week, one of them had uh, photoshopped uh, my face onto a Union soldier uh, from the Civil War and posted it online, and then someone who I have not been able to identify ran with it. And now, dearest Martha, the fictitious wife they created for writing letters to me while I'm gone at the war, uh, has, last I checked, I think it was a couple of hundred friends on Facebook. It's gotten to the point that there, several times recently, someone has added me on Facebook after I've gone to speak at an event, and when I clicked on them to see, well, do I know this person? Who do we have in common? A lot of the times uh, they're already friends with Martha. Uh, so it's gotten uh, pretty widespread. I've, I've, I've grilled everybody I know. I can't figure out who's doing it. Well, I've, I've got to say I'm a little disappointed, man. I, you're going to come on Historical Light and just totally say that your your wife is a fake. I I, I don't understand that. But. If that's the game you're going to play, then then that's fine. We'll, we'll say it's all a big charade. <laughs> I fear the blowback by me going on here and calling her fictitious. <laughs> now, I, I saw pictures. I don't, I don't know if it was just for the day or not, but is there a lodge that has poster-sized photographs of you and Martha? So that would be uh, Kuntz Lodge. Uh, or sorry, uh, Saratoga Lodge in Kuntz, Texas, uh, near Beaumont. I went down there to speak about the uh, ghost town of Olive, Texas. It was named after Sid Olive, an early member of uh, Waco Lodge. Fascinating story. Uh, interestingly, uh, and, and, and on a serious note, uh, for people out there listening to Historical Light, this was a pretty small town uh, for most standards. And word was sent out that somebody was coming to talk about the history of the nearby uh, ghost town. Uh, and it was going to be at the Masonic Lodge and that there was a Masonic reason, Masonic theme to the topic. And it was because the guy was Mason. Anyway, they had about 90 people pile into this little bitty lodge. Uh, and if you've done Masonic events out there, I don't care what size your, your town is. That's that's saying a lot. It wasn't. Uh, any other kind of event, the stated meeting briefly took place afterwards, but of course the public wasn't able to go into that. Uh, people poured in these doors because we were tying Freemasonry to the history of their community. So a lot of times you see attempts to get people interested in Masonry because, oh, Ben Franklin was a Mason or uh, what have you. But if you can tell people and and give people the stories behind the fact that the, the names on their streets and their towns uh, refer back to early leaders of their town's Masonic Lodge and things like that. Uh, 
you'll get a better interest. So anyway, I presented at that lodge and at the end of the night, they did unveil two giant posters. One of me, in this case, it was in a World War I uh, outfit and uh, a giant portrait of uh, a very handsome Martha. Uh, and at the end of the night, they gave those to uh, Dave, who's now past master of the lodge. Uh, and so to answer your question, there is a lodge that has those posters, but it is not the lodge that you see in those photos. Instead, he brought those a couple hundred miles back to Waco Lodge and uh, made the executive decision to hang them in our lobby uh, so people can see them when dining. So uh, now I have the awkward pleasure of people coming in to visit talking to me and in the middle of the conversation looking over my shoulder and noticing uh, the photo and, and until they finally i have to ask is that you no no yeah. ancestor yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh you know uh that's something i think since the last time i've been on the show that i discovered uh, i learned that my fifth great grandfather was a member of waco lodge uh, so I've been here 10 years. Uh, I've been researching the history of this lodge for 10 years. And I only just learned while updating my family history uh, that he was a member of this lodge. His name was William Brown. And uh, he died in battle serving alongside other members of this lodge. So, wow. uh, yeah, pretty neat development. And, in and research. I apologize. I can't remember uh, the exact history there. Um, did you have like Masonic family history prior or were you kind of a first generation as far as you knew when you joined on? No, no, uh, I was close to my great grandfather, though he died when I was quite young and he was a member of a, another lodge here in Waco. Okay. And uh, after my great grandmother passed away, uh, that would have been his, his widow, uh, I inherited some of their f furniture, uh, including this really cool bicentennial uh, bedroom set. And in his dresser, there was a secret rotating drawer uh, that had Masonic uh, coins, pins, some military medals, and uh, his Scottish Rite patent. Uh, nice. And so that's kind of what spurred uh, my Masonic career. Uh, my my father uh, is not a Mason. Uh, I don't believe any of my uncles are. Uh, but if you just jump up one generation to my grandfathers and greats, uh, I actually have a lot of Masons in my family. A couple of past masters that I found, uh, and uh, including one who was a member of, uh, I want to say it's Lodge Number Four. No name. It's just called Lodge Number Four uh, in uh, uh, Boston. Uh, that uh, really? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. They meet in the Grand Lodge building. I want to say Ben Franklin was a member of the lodge, but that would have been Philadelphia. So I'm not sure on the details, uh, but yeah, always finding more and more. That's cool. So you said in Boston, which is kind of hysterical. I, I don't know the exact history on if it has changed over the years, but I know currently Massachusetts has no numbers to any of their lodges. They're just names. And they have some that are like, have the same name, two lodges, same name, but no number. Mm difficult so you got to say oh it's so-and-so lodge over in this area so to have a lodge called number four <laughs> is kind of you know two birds with one stone that's pretty awesome <laughs> you know on the names and numbers thing you'll you'll appreciate this as a research guy 
So Texas did this really weird thing in the 19-teens and 1920s when there was a, an explosion of lodges being created across the country. Yeah. They decided that uh, they would allow new lodges to adopt the numbers of demised lodges. So fast forward 100 years, present day, there are lodges uh, like Georgian Denton 24, Triune Lodge, uh, I want to say 23, uh, several lodges across the state that have these really, really low numbers, but have only existed 100 years. Uh, wow. And it's confusing for somebody doing research because yeah. obviously usually that number corresponds to the order in which lodges came into existence. But in Texas, that's not the case anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I could tell how a lot of people would like that. But for guys like you and me, that's that's kind of a a huge pain in the butt when you're, <laughs> you're trying to source something out. Uh, you know, here in Kansas, they don't they don't let you uh, utilize the same numbers. And I can't remember if it's a recent change or not, but they have it set so you can't utilize the same name either. Um, mm. And, you know, we had two lodges merged with Gardner, Edgerton and Wellsville. And mm -hmm. our current master right now, uh, he was a member of Wellsville. And, you know, he didn't like that rule. He was kind of, you know, hoping that they could reuse names. So some year down the road, you know, if Wellsville was able, ever able to, you know, reestablish a lodge, they could they could call it that again, which I, I see where that would be awesome. But at the same time, trying to go back and, and you know, verify history, uh, I, obviously firsthand, see where that's a huge painstake as well. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a double-edged sword a little bit, but. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. yep. So I guess I will throw in. I don't know. It's it's been so long since we did historical light last. I don't remember if I announced the book. I know we talked about it a whole lot. I was working on it for quite a while, um, but did finally get it released. Um, covered the entire 150 years of my lodge, Gardner Lodge. Um, it was awesome. Uh, I was honestly very glad to be done with it. Um, my wife was a huge help from probably, oh, the last third, if not a little more of the book, I was running way behind schedule. Uh, my lovely wife was kind enough to actually read through the minutes. Nothing secret. It's obviously minutes. They get boring. Um, but she brought it to life for me even more. Obviously, it was so much easier to just write down the important aspects and have to read, think about it, write, then go back, find my place, really sped things up. But the awesome hysterical thing was she got into it like it was a soap opera and we're reading through these years and she's seeing certain guys come into the lodge and then years down the road, he gets sick and then he passes away. I mean, there was times she burst into tears because certain guys from the lodge was died. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> because it brought it to a whole new life and mm. to see it through, uh, through, you know, a different perspective of eyes, you know, someone that doesn't have the in-lodge experience. Uh, it was refreshing, but uh, we did get that out. It's, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and all that. So um, check it out. It's a uh, Gardner Lodge history. Uh, actually, if I'll jump up here and grab a copy. Hey, I got a copy here. Do you? That's probably closer. On my signed bookshelf, because my good friend Alex Taylor signed it for me. Here we are. Look at that beauty. Yeah. So I was actually pretty pleased with it. Um, 
chose to go with the the hardback edition um so it was a little more expensive up front there's not really any kind of profit margin in it obviously it's more of a, a resource book so i you know wasn't doing it for profit in the first place but at the end of the day um, we wanted to put more money into it and do the hardback version instead of the paperback which would have cost you know obviously way less uh, just thinking about it from the historical value 50 years down the road hopefully when the next guy's going through and recapping the history um i wanted something that you know they'd be proud to pull off the shelf and say hey here's a quality book versus here's this old raggedy paperback so we, we chose to go with that route because uh you know that's just that's kind of what it's all about to preserve the history in the best manner you can um so we went the pair the hardback uh, i was actually really pleased with it uh, it turned out great quality um and actually it's on amazon prime so you can get it quick shameless plug go buy it but <laughs> uh you know it's one of those things it's kind of a niche inside of a niche inside of a niche but uh gardner lodge it is a small rural kansas lodge but it's got some interesting history to it so if you're ever interested definitely give it a give it a check out um do you guys got any documented uh lodge history in your area oh yeah uh so i've been working on updating a book for 10 years This is uh, a Centra fraternity. This is about Waco Masonic Lodge. It was published in 1952 during our centennial celebration year uh, by Roger Conger. Uh, Past Master Conger is one of, if not maybe uh, uh, the most well-known um, amateur historians uh, in Texas history. He wasn't trained as such. He didn't have the degrees I have. Uh, but gosh, his impact it was such that uh, I'd be hard pressed to find any other historian who, who's matched him. Uh, he got the Chisholm Trail uh, recharted all the way across the Southwest. Uh, he helped create the Texas National uh, Landmark Commission, or sorry, the uh, United States National Landmark Commission. Uh, the Texas Historical Commission, Historic Waco Foundation, uh, wow. the Texas State Historical Association, uh, and it, it's, I, I could go on and on. He, he did amazing work, but one of the more incredible things he did was this book, and I will show you what I believe to be the most important resource in this book. Uh, it, it has past master bios and uh, tells stories for throughout the first 100 years of the lodge, uh, but it has this list in the back uh, of, for as far as he could tell at the time, I've actually filled in a few blanks since then, but generally speaking, this is a pretty complete list of all current and former members of Waco Lodge for the first 100 years uh, by name. And you can see, I don't know how clear this will be, but you can see my notes and highlighting there. Uh, so that's where I started about 10 years ago, going through those names, putting them into databases and uh, Google and everything I could find uh, to see if there were interesting stories waiting to be told. And by God, that's, I'm up to about 300 biographies articles now. Um, that's where it all started. So we've got a book and hopefully it'll grow soon. That's fantastic. So are you working on getting that updated then? Are you gonna release one? I am. Uh, I don't have a date, but I am working on it. It's it's hard to set a date on that, man. I, it is. You know, 
for the one I did, our, our hard set date was we were trying to get it done by our 150th anniversary. And, um, you know, as you know, we kind of get into these little rabbit holes. It was probably good for me that that date was set. And, you know, we, we came up really close on it. But if it wasn't, I'd probably still be working on it because it's so easy to just make it a never ending topic. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been impressed with your area. Gardner has some pretty cool history. But, and you know, obviously Robert's a hell of a historian, so he's digging stuff up that no one ever knew existed. But, man, you have had some really crazy history come out of Waco, Texas. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, we've done an episode here about some of them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, since then, I've found others. Ted Lyons, one of the greatest baseball pitchers of all times. Uh, uh, L-Y-O-N-S? What's that? L-Y-O-N-S? Interesting. One of our, uh, we had Frank Lyons, uh, was oh, a right. past master and secretary gardener. I have, you know, maybe no connection, but it's interesting. He was yeah. actually the one that ran into the lodge to grab the records during the building uh, oh, fire. Wow. Uh, that yeah. actually made it all possible to even document the history. So, uh, well, guys who do that uh, make possible what guys who do what we do. Uh, oh, so, I'm sure. uh, pouring one out for brother lions that's Indeed. fantastic uh so i've also found uh, 1927 uh new york giants nfl championship team had a member of our lodge on it riley biggs was uh, an offensive wow. lineman uh and that's just two sports figures uh doctors lawyers uh inventors gosh i've got a whole file just on patents i've found for members of the lodge uh of course the inventor of dr pepper and yeah, um, I find myself I find myself telling that story quite frequently too. Just to yeah, always throwing out the the Waco. <laughs> yeah, the Dr Pepper is one that's pretty popular, and you're right. That is the Waco. That's what they called it. Yeah, yeah. You, you went to the uh, pharmacy in 1886 or 1885 when it started, and you asked for a Waco, and that's what you got. What we now know is a Dr Pepper. Uh, but yeah, uh, just. Countless, countless, countless really interesting people uh, who made an impact across the world. One of them uh, just was featured on statewide uh, television uh, with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Public Programming. His name's Sherwood Owens, and he's one of the guys I talked about uh, when I came on your show. Mm -hmm. He was the uh, uh, adventurist who was an 1849 gold miner. He was in three different wars as a medic. Uh, we are having crazy weather here, and uh, so the power is kind of cutting in and out. I apologize for that. I thought it was your uh, like adjusting. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope that's what it is. Maybe talking about these guys is conjuring up some spirits. I'm actually at the lodge, by the way. So, uh, there you go. There have been stories. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, now, I will say, uh, so we started meeting in 1851. Uh, we've been around. Uh, quite a long time. And I do believe that if possible, if you could go through the full membership list for every lodge that old, you're going to find a pretty similar uh, lineup of just amazing people. Sure. It's just not being done. Maybe shows like this will change that. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, actually, you know, speaking of that, since I started the last book, um, 
and kind of talked about it several times on the show. Got a lot of feedback. Obviously, a lot of guys want me to do it for them. Anyone involved in it oh, yeah. gets that. Hey, can I give you my records? When can you have it done by? That's just, I, yeah, I would love to, but <laughs> I can't. Um, but I had also a lot of guys just ask, you know, the best route. What, what What's the best way to do this? Where do I dive in at? Um, so that's actually the current book I'm working on. I, I hope to have it released by now, but, you know, it's, it's towards the end. Um, but we're actually breaking it down. I did a uh, presentation on this for quite a while, um, how to preserve and share the history of your lodge. Um, but I actually broke it down even further to a step-by-step -step guide put into a book form. Um, Cause just so many of these guys, hey, where do I start? What do I do? What do you recommend? What's worked for you? So kind of broke that down and bringing out a guide. We're going to do that in the paperback and make it as cheap as possible. Again, it's just about getting it out there and trying to get it started. Cause you know, like you said, brother Robert, I, you know, I've, I've talked about this and harped on it really so many times in the past. Cause you know, one of the key points I always say there's three pillars behind uh, historical light, the mission, protect, preserve, and share uh, the history behind our lodges. And going through my lodge, the history, it's not alone in the fact, but the books are old, they're crumbling, the ink is disappearing from the pages, and it's only going to get worse day by day, um, to the point that I, you know, I was scared I wasn't be able to uh, preserve half the stuff going through my lodge book before I could finish it, then you think about all the lodges out there that are still going to sit in a shelf or sit in a box for years to come. And, you know, we've, we've got lodges that have merged and stuff. And within a matter of years, they just appear off, uh, disappear off the face of the earth. So yeah, we do. We need more guys, you know, history is kind of a dry subject to a lot, but there is really interesting topics and really interesting people out there that have been involved in our lodges, our fraternity, um, that we just don't know about, that we've forgotten about. And mm -hmm. you know, personally, I, I really take to heart that whole term of being our brother's keeper. And I, I think that, mm -hmm. you know, that applies to our brothers that have passed as well. And if they got a story to tell, got to tell it. Yep. Uh, I, I will agree and uh, can tell you that many times I've, I've been consciously aware of the fact that uh, researching preserving protecting sharing these stories uh is something that i believe is my duty uh yeah. we promise these guys when they're made masons that uh this is something that can potentially extend their legacy and uh enable them to make their mark on the world uh they leave their records with us when they pass away uh, there's a file about members in most lodges, uh, and if it's never opened and those stories are never found, I think we're doing them a disservice. Uh, so as a historian, it's definitely something that I felt like I was capable of uh, providing uh, my lodge members past and present and uh, am trying to fulfill. I would like to give a shout out. You were talking about the ink disappearing from paper. Uh, so something I'd started uh, here was preserving our minutes as well as other documents, but really starting with our minutes. Uh, we have them going all the way back to the 1850s. And uh, as you said, the ink's disappearing, the paper's falling apart. Uh, museum practices, best practices says, uh, this is going to sound crazy to people, but this is what the standard is. You cut those out page by page 
all the way down at the binding as much as you can get. Uh, you spray it with a preservant. You put it in plastic. Um, get your scan while you've got it out. Uh, but that can add, uh, they estimate, 100 years to the legibility of a document. Is that uh, right? So, yeah. Uh, and so it doesn't have to be disappearing yet. It's going to disappear. If, if you've yeah. got a document with pen on it, it's going to disappear. The question is when, and there are things and steps we can take to uh, prolong its uh, longevity. Uh, Brother sure. Samuel, I'm going to butcher his name, sorry, Samuel Kybers in Whiteright Lodge uh, is doing that right now, and he's been sending me updates. Uh, he's going through and doing that whole process, as I've just described, uh, and it may be 70 years before his lodge uh, recognizes the value of what he's done, uh, but uh, it will happen. They will be very thankful that he did it at some point. For sure. Now, I, I know that that's common practice. Um, I didn't know it would add that much life to it. That part I hadn't got into. That That's a very interesting fact. Going through my lodge stuff, I got cut off really short up because... Uh, the grand archivist who we had, which unfortunately is no longer with the, uh, with the grand lodge. I hate to say that funding got cut Basically, mm. happens. Um, but that, that's what he kind of recommended as well to, to cut out, to get the scans. Obviously the lodge was like, no way. Uh, we've got these huge fire safes in the back of the lodge. They like to keep all the uh, records in. Um, so didn't want to cut those up. So, that's why I went to the second route and did the overhead uh, scanners. That way we can leave everything intact. What I did do um, on top of that, though, we, we, we went through and got our overhead scans, which turn out really, really good. I mean, you can zoom in and see the, the pin strokes uh, pretty perfectly. Um, but what I did after we got those all preserved is I actually put those books into um, – air sealed bags, like a food savers type system. And, you know, I talked to a few guys um, at the historical society first about it and they said, yeah, we've done that before. It actually works really, really good. Uh, but what, what that does there is, you know, for our lodge, thankfully we just got a roof fix, but we were plagued for a long time with roof leaks, um, which caused humidity and just moisture in the air and everything. That obviously is a huge burden to those books uh, as well as, Thankfully, we didn't have this, but a lot of old books get book mites. Um, they just mm -hmm. eat the paper. Um, when you air seal these, I mean, you can submerge them um, in water. They're going to be watertight. Um, they're protected from the air. They're protected from those bugs. Um, so that that's a great option. But yeah, I mean, if, if you can add 100 years to a legible document, that is pretty amazing. Um, so, I mean, if that's something your lodge is open to, if you can, you know, present the facts there and the uh, kind of the value behind doing that, man, if you could add a hundred years to a document, that would be cool. Really, really cool. I mean, there's just, there's nothing like the physical copy, right? I mean, the, the whole point is preserving the information. And that's why, you know, in, in the book and the presentation I did, um, always talk to, you know, the two ways, because you want to preserve the information first and foremost before you don't have it to preserve. But second of all, there's nothing cooler than holding that paper in your hand or seeing it firsthand, um, just that physical document. So you also, knowing that it's not going to last forever, want to make it last as long as it possibly can. So if there's a step out there that we can make it last longer, 
that's definitely something we need to look into. A lot of guys don't really uh, take into full consideration their lodge's history. They think, oh, Gardner, Kansas, small town, nobody cares. There's actually a lot of interesting stuff there. And even if you don't find that connection, 20 years down the road, somebody's going to. And yep. if you don't preserve it, it's not going to be there, never found. It's It all plays a part, man. That's right. You can leave that little morsel. Uh, most of the articles and uh, bios that I've shared out there that people have run with and enjoy so much are just a name on that list that I showed you before. It's just yeah. a name in there. It doesn't tell you who the person is. It was something I had to uh, look into myself, but I would not have done it if Roger Conger, the author of that book, had not made that list. I did think of something I'd like to share with you uh, as we're talking about this, because I think it illustrates it really well. Uh, up here behind me, I've got uh, some of my book collection. I brought a lot of it up here to the lodge, definitely my Masonic books and some uh, signed books. But this one is kind of special. I got it in an auction and uh, I can figure out the right way to show it to you here. Uh, here we go. Uh, so I got this in an auction a while back. Uh, it was in a box of books. Uh, I don't remember what I paid, but I can tell you that it was next to nothing. Uh, anyone with any interest in history would have been willing to spend whatever it was. Uh, and it is a standard Masonic monitor. Uh, it's one of the Simons copies. Uh, printed in New York in the 1880s. Uh, I've got books here over 100 years older than this one. But the reason I like to share this one is because it gives the message that we are talking about really well. I'm going to try to show it to you here. Uh, you can see some script there. Uh, and uh, I'll go ahead and tell you what it says. Uh, presented to Frank A. Brung by S. maybe Adams. On board the SS Rhineland, so a ship, June 21st, 1891. And at the bottom there of what I just showed you, uh, it has remember me with an exclamation point. Uh, so this is something that was floating around. I got in an auction. Uh, the people who had it didn't know what it was or care about who the person was. Uh, by getting it and, and researching the guy, and I've got a bio out there about him now. Uh, I did exactly what he was hoping would happen that day while he was on board the, the SS Rhineland uh, in 1891. He wrote, remember me. And uh, in a very real sense, that's core to what all of Masonry is about. Uh, yeah. Giving guys the ability to be remembered. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that's what we're doing. That's what historical light's all about. Indeed. that That is awesome, man. I mean, what, what's the odds of opening that up and seeing that? That's, I mean, that's really what makes it all worth it is, I mean, you wish you could tell the guy, hey, I got you. Um, but in a mm -hmm. way, I think uh, he knows. So that's yeah, yeah. so cool, man. So cool. Now, so that one's kind of uh, serious. I've got another one. It's an 1819. Uh, so I guess 200 years old this year. I hadn't considered that a uh, copy of uh uh, oh, the famous cross uh, monitor. And uh, what's funny about it is it's got the provenance written in the front. Everybody who's owned it, every Mason who's owned it since 1819 has written their name in it. Wow. Uh, 
But when you open it up to the uh, page where Brother Cross's portrait is on it, somewhere along those lines, uh, one of those names in the front of the book went to the pains of drawing a pair of glasses on Brother Cross and a little mustache and giving him some extra hair, doodling on him, just like you do in middle school. But who knows? It could have happened in the 1800s, 1900s. So guys have fun with this stuff, too. That's hysterical. Well, man, um, I don't have the timer on here, so I'm not, uh, as you guys have noticed at this point, we're not using the same software as used to. Uh, used to, we did this through Skype on a, a third-party recorder. Um, that all crapped out, so we have moved over to Google Hangouts, as seems to be popular among all. So um, getting used to it, but I think we're going to have good things to come. I'm excited to have you on this project with me, Brother Robert. Um I think it's going to be good, man, but I don't want to run tonight too late. I know we've got a lot of chances to chat, um, but we're working on some great interviews, having the guys on the show and uh, bringing some cool things, uh, cool things out. So any final thoughts before we wrap things up tonight, brother? No, uh, I'll just say I'm also excited to be a part of it and I'm looking forward to it. Same here. I definitely echo that. Um, So with that guys, um, I really want to end this just on a, on a, on a humble note, um, in remembrance of my father-in-law, my Masonic mentor. Um, I will note right before that though, um, bringing up his Masonic funeral. Uh, I actually, uh, I gave that Masonic funeral. I, I, uh, did the ritual there his first time ever. Um, we did that in our lodge. Uh, he did wish to be cremated. Um, so we had his urn up in the East. Um, we had so many Masons show up. It was insane. Uh, it was, it was, it was humbling, honestly. I mean, we had a full house, full lodge room, um, but we had masons filling the east and then a line down each side to the doors and then some in the overfill. Um, so that was that was powerful uh, just to see how many guys he meant that much to um, show up. Um, but with that, I would just, you know, humbly say I'd like to dedicate this episode uh, to my Masonic father, Angelo Mino. Uh, definitely missed, uh, but I know he's still with us. And uh with that guys we will see you soon so glad to be back so glad to have robert on board uh, historical light's going to do some great things and uh continue on as we always will until next time guys uh check out the historical light research group on facebook we can continue the conversations there and we will see you next time have a great night